everyone, this is Papri, your host, back again with another exciting episode of Talking Point. In this era of like, share and views, being successful is almost like saying going viral. A fine example would be the song Collabority which was out in 2011 and took internet by a storm. Now we all know the creative geniuses behind the song. Who we don't know is the person instrumental in making the successful go to the next level. I'm talking about Rupak Saluja from the 120 Media Collective. Let's have him on the show. Hi Rupak and thank you so Hi. much for joining us today. Pleasure. Kola It was a huge viral success. What I would like to know is that is there a secret trick in which uh, you made sure that it got such an international appeal that it did? Well the truth behind Kola is that it was actually a response to crisis management or a crisis management response rather. Sony Music was our client and uh, the Kolarari track had actually leaked from the studio where uh, it was being recorded in Chennai. And uh, they came to us to ask us what we should do. Our response was immediately to um, shoot our own version and put it on YouTube because it was already leaked on YouTube. And we said we put all our might behind it and our efforts behind it to make it bigger than that version was. Uh, so the guy who was handling it at the time, the account, uh, he decided to construct an entire sort of Twitter campaign to ensure that it was going to uh, trend. And we put this hashtag, why is Kolagariti, mm. as, um, you know, as a complaining, as a com form of complaint. And people would rant about stuff on social media and he would add that on. And then there would be a link to the song. Now this caught on really well. And uh, in about 24 hours, we found that it actually had gained a lot more traction than we expected it to. And in another 24 hours, it had become even bigger to the point that this happened around November the 17th, 2011. Mm -hmm. By uh, the 31st or the 30th of December, mm -hmm. 2011, CNN had uh, rated it as uh, the most downloaded and viewed track in the world. And all of this was done purely organic, not one rupee was spent on it. So the truth is that in today's era, it would be completely impossible to do that because of the fact that platforms like Facebook, etc., and even Twitter, because they have their own monetization to worry about, so they limit that spread. Uh, but back then in 2011, even though it was easier to do it, it was pretty damn challenging anyway. And uh, the good thing was that we got our recognition as a company for doing it. So the convergence of media has kind of uh, shrunk the distance and the gap between advertisers and uh, consumers. So, keeping that in mind, this era's advertisers, what do you think should be their primary concern? I think we do live in a whole different era from what we did 10 years ago. Yes. And it requires an entire different paradigm of communication and uh, brand engagement. Because uh, the audience has power that they, uh, it's an unprecedented level of power that they didn't have before. The power to change, the power to switch, um, there's no way you can force people to consume their advertising unless you're giving them something of value. So the basic principle of today's paradigm of communication is value exchange. So you allow people, you give people value in the form of entertainment, education or information mm -hmm. and let them consume your content and therefore your brand messaging in the bargain. So that's the basic principle and I think that um, you know it's about content marketing, branded content, um, and content is basically what sums up this new paradigm of communication. What is your take on uh, crowdsourced advertisements like, uh, for example, take uh, Pepsi's uh, Crash the IPL ad campaign. As an advertiser, do you feel uh, that uh, brands will, uh, it's easier to, for brands to reach out to people and get it done in way less uh, uh, expense 
than reaching out to the agencies and do you think that this will become a trend? It will become a trend for sure. It is a trend already, but I don't think it can replace uh, professional advertising or professional communications. At the end of the day, you still need to have, I mean, the agency is fully involved in this, mm -hmm. right? So it's more of, more than a cost-saving or cost-efficiency-inducing device, it's actually a marketing tool that you make the consumer feel part of the brand and engage with the brand. And there are entire models that exist like this. There's more film, for example, uh, which does it brilliantly well. And, um, there's one more name of which I'm forgetting, um, which is as big as more fun. But uh, I think that what it does do is your the influencers in your audience and the advocates for your brand are then involved with your brand much more and there's more brand love in, in the bubble. You've been uh, to 10 different countries and lived across six different continents and you speak multiple languages. So most of your childhood was spent in traveling between cities. So, uh, did you feel at some point that it was difficult to be with a change in environment, making new friends? You know, the truth is, if you grow up with that and you're kind of born into it, mm. you don't know any difference, right? Mm. So, actually, um, because I started moving around from the age of okay, zero, uh, to me it was just second nature. So, I was born in Delhi, I lived in uh, London, Damascus, uh, Delhi again, then Panama. Zambia, New Zealand, uh, Delhi, uh, the US, then Budapest for five years, Paris, and then uh, Singapore, and back in France and Fontainebleau, where I was doing my MBA. And then in 2005, I moved to Bombay, and I've been here ever since. But I did have the best of both worlds because I, I went between the ages of 12 and 18, I was in boarding school in Delhi. Mm. Right, so that really helped because I had the best of both worlds and I managed to have friends everywhere. I had strong base of mm. friends as well. But I was still going back to wherever my parents were and they were moving every three years. I think that uh, that is a few things. One was that because I was so used to that, I couldn't stay in any place for more than some time. So Bombay, I just completed 10 years in Bombay and that is by far the longest place I've been anywhere. Do you have something about not uh, making some place your base or route? To me, the definition of success to, is to have uh, complete geographical mobility as one pleases. So that to me is success. When I've achieved a state in life where I can say, okay, I want to be here, there, and I'll move, you know, I'm not bogged down or connected or, or tied down to any place, I can move freely, that for me is a famous success. I think the other thing that it's done, having that uh, upbringing and moving around all my life at a young age is that I'm very, very adaptable to any situation. I think I can relate to people of any culture pretty much, uh, whether or not I speak their language. So the other side of it is that I can get bored with uh, anything which is not changing. So you started your career in Budapest. Uh, was it challenging to start a, uh, your career at a place where the language was not your native? It was interesting because I wanted to be a writer, a copywriter. I was pretty fascinated by advertising. I did an internship at Raymond uh, Rubicam in the year before I, before I graduated. So in 97, I did an internship there. And because the language of advertising was Hungarian, uh, I couldn't be a copywriter. Mm -hmm. Although I later learned Hungarian very well. And I started working on the account management side mm -hmm. as a client servicing account executive or assistant account executive. Mm -hmm. I was very lucky. Because there were a lot of expats running mm -hmm. multinationals, the language of business for a lot of companies was English. Communication was in English, etc. Mm -hmm. while the language of advertising was in there. So it didn't really worry me that much, it didn't bother me that much. 
although there were situations, by the end of it, I was able to make business presentations in Hungarian, which I did to sort of more local kind of clients. So you have to understand that Hungary had just moved out of the communist era uh, about eight years before that, nine years before that, right? So there were a lot of people who hadn't had that international exposure. And so I was kind of um, the trump card for some of these things for a lot of people in the agency. And that allowed me to also move very fast and rise quite rapidly. And you know, it was, a, it was a nice place to cut your teeth because it was a small population, 10 million, and a market where there was, um, on global accounts, there was a lot of international strategy, but local production, etc. So, you know, creative development, etc. So from an advertising perspective, it was a great place to start. From there to Aubergine Magic, how did that happen? I had this uh, British CEO uh, who took quite a liking to me because I'd done a couple of things which, you know, he was quite impressed by. And I cut a deal with him saying that, okay, I want to do this for a couple of years, but in two years from now, I want to move to a regional role uh, at YNR London. Because YNR was suddenly part of WPP, he decided to kind of help me try that way. So I was the first person in the Young Republican Network globally to transfer out of YNR into another WPP company through WPP channel. It was a great job because it was, it was intense, but it was a lot of fun. And as a 25-year-old, it was a job that, you know, I basically lived out of a suitcase, and so I was, I used to travel to, uh, to Frankfurt, Milan, London, etc., you know, two, 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 three times a week, and so I was on a plane all the time, and at the same time, I was also a DJ, and I had a record label, and I was traveling as a DJ, and so I would literally, my life would be that I would fly into Chandigarh Airport, and sometimes not even go home, and take another flight to somewhere like Portugal or you know to Amsterdam or something to go and DJ on a Friday night, Saturday, whatever. And sometimes I would fly back to Chardigal on a Monday morning, change and go to the office. And there were times where I didn't see my apartment for two weeks. Do you still do DJ? Like do you practice? I don't have the time. I don't have the bandwidth for it because you know people think that DJing. So some people ask me, oh, you know, is this like three hours or once in a month or you know once in a week and all that. So that, yes, but what people don't realize is the amount of effort that goes into it behind the scenes. Because as a DJ, you have to be keeping up with the music, right? Mm -hmm. So while those three hours only happen once a week or whatever, you spend the entire week at, through the night, through the day, you know, meeting artists and collecting music and discussing and listening and all of that. So there's a lot of that goes into it. You have to be obsessed with it to really be into it and do it well. When you started staying here, do you did you feel some kind of a diaspora and then any kind of culture shock? There was a culture shock. Mm. The culture shock wasn't in terms of outside of work. So I think Bombay being cosmopolitan in that respect, I don't think there was an issue in connecting with people. And I, honestly, it was a bit of a cheat moving to Bombay and saying I'm an outsider because I had 200 friends here already. So it was really like I was. It was as if you know I was part of the part of what was going on here anyway. When I started the company, um, at that time along with three other co-founders, none of whom are part of the company any longer. This is Bang Bang Films, you know? Bang Bang And that was like banging my head against the wall, honestly. Right? Because A, I had never worked in India, and B, uh, I was starting a company in India, uh, and trying to be an entrepreneur. And things, you know, were, and, and, you know, doing it in a sector like media where people are pretty uh, relaxed and, you know, doing, working on their own sort of frequency, the other, that's just a euphemism for saying lack of professionalism in many cases, right? 
it was really I was tearing my hair out and I would find myself, you know, losing it and shouting at people at the bank and saying, you promised me today, why has it not happened today, what do you mean two more days and how can it happen? So I wasn't used to all that, right? The trick was actually uh, finding that balance while letting go of stuff which was not really important, don't sweat the small stuff, mm-hmm. um, and fight, picking your battles to fight. Um, but at the same time, not losing sight of why you think you are doing something different and what you set out to do in the first place. So once you find that balance, then everything is good, which I did after about three months or so. So you said that uh, at that time when you were setting up the company, you were single, enjoying life uh, in Bombay. So uh, how and when did you meet uh, Tara and when did you guys start dating? So. I was in NCI in 2004. While I was there, um, I was considering moving to Bombay. I met a bunch of people who were friends of hers, who told me, oh, if you're moving to Bombay, you must meet my friend, Tara Sharma, and she, you know, you really get along and everything. So I said, sure, you know, everyone's been telling me, and I should meet her. Now, it just so happened, in April 05, I was invited for a drink to a friend's place in Beach Candy. Uh, these are friends of my parents. And they lived in the same building as Tara. And, um, you know, they, they called a bunch of people over for drinks, and uh, Tara was there, and I met her. Now, funnily enough, that flat where I met her is where we live today. And after that, we met a few more times that, you know, we had a lot of common friends. And then a close friend of mine got married to a close friend of hers. So we actually then got to know each other at that wedding. And by the same time we came back to Bombay, we were dating. Have you guys worked together? We have, and we do, kind of, right now as well. The first job that, the first project that Bang Bang ever did was a was production service for a Hungarian film shooting in India. Both Tara and I also had a role in the film. Uh, each of us had a role in the film as well, so that was interesting. Uh, other than that, Tara has a TV show called The Tara Sharma Show, which is uh, now on Star World and she co-produces it with the one Media Collective. So we don't directly work together, but I am there once in a while for meetings, etc. And we do, you know, so we do officially work together. What is your idea of unwinding now? My idea of unwinding really is family, spending time with my kids, with my wife. Um, and my ideal, I, I don't get to spend as much, as much time with my kids as I would like to. Um, I think during the week I don't see them more than 30 minutes a day really. But Sundays are sacrosanct for me, and um, my ideal Sunday when in Bombay is uh, to maybe go to the gym in the morning or whatever. And by 11 o'clock, we were members of the Beach Candy Club, which we live quite close to, and it's a little paradise of its own. So we get there by about 11, and we swim and have lunch, and then get home by around 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I do some work, have a massage around 5:36 shower, two whiskeys, put the kids to bed, and then we watch Game of Thrones on that man or some other stuff. So that for me is an ideal Sunday. Tell me what kind of a boss you are, as in like, uh, are you a little overbearing? What is your uh, dynamic with uh, your team? I'm a tough boss. I'm very demanding. I set very high standards. Uh, but at the same time, I think I'm a nice guy. I'm, I'm not an asshole. Uh, if I'm allowed to say that, I'm not allowed to say that. Even deep it out, if I'm allowed to say that. I'm not the kind of boss who going out for drinks with people all the time uh, because I'm too busy and too hectic and mostly quite externally focused. I believe in communication, I believe in transparency. If you look at the values of the company, which is why I ensure that I, even though I mean, 
to all those uh, who want to come into advertising media anything that uh, you want to say to them it's a very very exciting space to be in and i think this industry has never seen this amount of change and it's at a at a juncture where a the models are completely changing b the incumbents will completely change as well there are some of the people who are incumbents will will continue in a dominant position but there will be a lot of unseating over the next five years we're going to see india globally as well um, but i think that the trick is to keep your mind open and understand that where this industry is headed and for that matter adjacent spaces as well is coming from the blurring of lines between a few different spaces so um before we wrap up one uh, last request i have because you speak so many different languages I would ask you to actually address our viewers and ask them to uh, subscribe to our channel, uh, maybe in three different languages. Subscribe por favor a este canal de YouTube. El Fizach esto YouTube channel. Please subscribe to this YouTube channel. Thank you.